You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Here we go. Global Trade This Week and what a week and what a weekend it's been. Uh, this is a amazing show that we're going to bring. I think, Pete, a couple weeks ago, you talked about Epic. Uh, this may be the Epicer, uh, Epicer one. So before we get into that, I'm Doug Draper one of your hosts out in Denver, Colorado. I remoted from Fresno last week and had some uh, internet issues, but I'm back. Troy is joining us. He's been on hiatus for a while, sabbatical, if you will, so we're good to go. But on the other side of the country in the great state of New Hampshire is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, what's going on? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm getting a foot of wet, nasty snow, so I got that going for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, Troy's back, buddy. Um, and I'm convinced that, that this is one of those deals like, um, spycraft, you know, like you have to, you got to put Troy in the shot to tell your CIA handler that there's a dead drop in some <laughs> park where you left the microfilm. Is that, I like it. is that that's what it cool. is? Yeah, that's pretty, that I didn't even think of that, but, uh, yeah. The color printer was on high high res today, cranking that thing out. So yeah. as as you know, I'm in this soundproof booth in my co-working space, which is awesome. So I can't roll in the man himself. So he's uh, coming in virtually. It's nice to have Troy back. Thank you. Honestly, Thank you very much. it's, it's yeah. nice to have Troy back. Cool. Um, I'm an iStation Zebra because it is, um, it's, it's a blind, man, it's like the middle of March. I've so had it. I've had it. And I know you and um, you and Keenan love the snow. You go frolic in it like a couple of idiots in your snowboards and your in your skis. And I love skiing when I was younger, but um, I just I don't need to be cold, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, cold is something that needs to happen outside. Um, I want to be I'm going to be warm outside in a cafe in Paris <laughs> with a with a nice bottle of Bordeaux. And Amy across from me with some unpasteurized cheeses, you know, I, I don't understand. I don't get this man. Like I was, I've been watching this new show with Eugene Levy on, on Apple. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. He just complains. Like he's, he's this very neurotic traveler where it's like, I don't know why I'm on this Island. Cause apparently I'm going to get wet and have to get in the water. Why can't I just, sit at this bar and have a nice glass of wine and have a conversation like this. This is my kind of traveling, Doug. I really, mm-hmm. I identify with this cat very much. Yeah. So I've, I've enjoyed it a great deal. Nice. Mm. Well, speaking of enjoying a great deal, we have um, <clears throat> a very relevant topic that we're, we um, we're, we're not going to bury the lead. We're jumping in. Yeah. We're jumping um, into the, to, um, Gosh, the uh, the whirlwind of, of banking in the last 72 to 96 hours. So uh, yes. I don't know what to say, Pete. I know you're fired uh, up. I, I am. I am. We, we had, <laughs> we, we had the, the, the pre-call to this show was... Yeah. Um, ugly. Yes, ugly. A proverbial yeah. F-bomb coming through. So Yeah. Um, not a fan of bankers, Doug. Yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan of bankers. I um, they, are, they are a class in and of themselves. I mean, even if you look at the reaction of this, this particular crisis, um, you know, the, the government couldn't, couldn't step to it fast enough to get them a solution. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the rest of the rest of the country, if there was a problem with poor people or with middle class people, like like if every farmer in the country had a problem, it would take months to find a solution for them. But bankers over the weekend, bam, here's your money, right? Like, <laughs> let's get the money as fast as they can. But if if every if every um, farmer in Iowa and Kansas and Minnesota and Wisconsin had a problem, like I will get to you guys soon. You'll be okay. But bankers, it was like 24 hours. Let's find them billions of dollars to get this thing up and going. Which should give you an idea of how tied into Congress they actually are. Neither here nor there. So Silicon Valley Bank was a a darling of the, uh, the industry. Lots of cash that was being used to fund these startups. Lots of cash that was being used to, to, to fund tech companies, many of which were in our industry. Hence, mm. while we're talking about them. And um, a few weeks ago, actually about a month ago, if you look at the timeline, there was a great deal that was being said by people like Peter Thiel about how this was a house of cards it was going to fall on itself. And they were actually going to be downgraded by many of the um, insurance firms that watched the, you know, these grading firms. Went in there, tried to talk about it with them, like, hey, hey, you know, don't leave me, baby. We can work this out. And um, didn't quite go their way. Word starts to get out. And the reason that they were having a problem was, was really threefold. The first was when they had made all this money, they had made some very untimely investments in what would normally have been a smart investment, which was bonds, which generally, you know, they pay long term pretty well over time. Second of all, mortgage backed securities, where when you, you buy your mortgage backed security at a certain interest rate, that interest rate, you know, unfortunately sort of going like this because of res- the recessionary pressures that we're seeing in the Fed, they kept jacking up the rates. We buy it at 3%, and then a quarter later, it's at 4%, 5%, 6%, 7%. Why would you buy a mortgage-backed security at 3% when you know it's just going to keep going like this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm selling my mortgage-backed securities at 4%. Yeah, that's cool. I can buy one for 7% across the street. Were you an idiot? You know? Um, and then lastly, uh, much of that tech investment, they knew that there wasn't a whole lot more money that would be coming in with these depositors. So you put those three things together, they've got a real problem. And um, it, it kind of came home to roost over the weekend, a bit of a run on the bank that goes along with it. And we see what happens that that goes along um, with all of that. So um, here's some more fun things that happened. Literally the day before the crash happens, they got paid their bonuses. Mm. Literally, Doug, the day before the crash happens, happened to be the day that everybody gets paid their bonuses. Now, this was scheduled to happen. So it's not like they just arbitrarily yeah. said, hey, probably pay our bonuses today. So they've got that going for them. But they paid their bonuses. And a few days before all that happened, executives with the bank sold a whole bunch of shares of stock. Mm. Now, um, over that weekend, they um, the news hits out with everybody. Uh, folks are lining up to get their money out, and the Fed gets involved. Now, you're supposed to have all of your deposits legally insured up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Used to be a hundred grand, but it's up to two hundred and fifty grand. So, Doug, if you and I had a, uh, a uh, an account with them we could have up to $250,000 in that account and the federal government would make sure that it was insured up to that amount. Now over that, we're on the hook. Now there's relief valves in here, okay? 
but we're insured up to 250 grand. Now, the government would step in after this bank failed and they would sell off all the assets of the bank. And we would get a certificate from the bank that said once everything was sold off, we would get back a portion of the profits of that sale. Mm -hmm. And we would have gotten back, we would have been out of pocket about anywhere from 10 to 15%, depending on who you talk to. Okay. That's all we would have lost. Mm -hmm. Probably about 10%. So we would have had 90% of our deposits. Yep. Would have lost 10%. At 250K. No, all of it. Mm. So if we had a billion dollars in the bank, we would have gotten back 900 million. But that wasn't good enough. So the banker said, I don't think so. I want it all back. So the federal government has come out and said, don't worry about it. All of your deposits are insured. And they did this because they were worried about a contagion which would be that all these other banks that were in similar situations, like mm -hmm. uh, Signet, which also was in a similar situation, um, First Republic, and um, there was another one that I said was going to fall last week. Um, they were all in a similar situation, so they didn't want to see a run on banks, and uh, it appears to have worked. So now what the federal government has basically said is, is that any bank is too big to fail. Mm -hmm. And this is scary to me, Doug, because if any bank is too big to fail – just imagine what bankers are going to do now. Um, there are a couple of banks, a couple of companies in our industry, apparently, who had all of their deposits with this bank, um, which is terrifying to me. I mean, anybody who had all of their money in one account with one bank, um, the CFO and the CEO should be drug out into the parking lot and have their bare bottoms paddled before they're allowed to come back to work. Mm. I'm just going to come out. I'm going to say that. Actually, that should be that should be the quote for this particular episode. Yeah, um, that is that is absolutely irresponsible financial leadership to do something like that. Yeah. So anyway, Doug, that's where that is right now. Um, we are we are two year yields on bonds hit the floor yesterday. People are back in today trying to um, make money on those. It is recovering a bit, but we'll see where this goes for the rest of the week. People are very nervous internationally about the strength of the banking system. This is, uh, this is not over, not by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the whole, the whole piece, the, the takeaways on my end is people are spooked, right? Um, have nothing to do with the banks that had failed, but if I'm out there, Joe Blow from Denver, Colorado, I'm starting to second guess the bank that I have my, uh, my deposits in. And I think the smaller banks and, and credit unions, are they're going to feel the brunt because it's like it's, you know, Doug and Pete Bank and Trust Company. Um, and, uh, and, and and those are the guys that are going to feel feel the brunt kind of like, well, I'm not even going to go down this analogy on the educational system and how uh, COVID is more impacting uh, smaller universities and colleges and big state institutions and private. I guess I just did. But um you know, they're going to be moving their money to the big boys and the big boys get bigger and they get too big to fail. And so I think it's just the panic mode that's going to happen in the smaller banks, in my opinion, are going to suffer. Um, the other piece that you, you made mention of is huge, is beyond the 250K. So it could be hundreds of millions of dollars. Everybody gets their money back. You know, you get a free car, you get a free car, you get a free car. Yeah. Um, that's, that's precedent being set that could be just you know, who, who knows where that's going to go. Right. 
And then, you know, there's a, you know, the FDIC is not supported by public funds and there's this, you know, fund that everybody uh, pays premiums into. But the bottom line um, is that ultimately you and I are going to pay in fees to cover that, right? If my insurance premiums go up and I'm a bank, then I got to, you know, things roll downhill. And so, yeah, it's not, the FDIC specifically is not supported by public funds, but uh, you can better bet that things are going to change whenever there's 100% uh, coverage uh, on deposit. So it sounds good. It's a good soundbite, but the reality of it is um, it, it's going to be uh, problematic for, for you and I in the long term. It's yeah. the precedent that's being set, and who the heck knows what's going to be the fallout. That's the big thing to me. I, I work for a, co- a company that is it's privately held. You know, it's privately held. Our owner makes decisions with the money, and there is risk based on every one of those decisions. It's his money. He gets to make those risks. And if we reap rewards from it, he gets to reap those rewards, you know? And he's run the business that way forever. He gets to enjoy the spoils of those rewards. And if it fails, unfortunately, he's on the hook for those. And that's that's the way it works, man. God bless him for it, you know? But what we're basically saying to these banks is you made a bunch of really stupid decisions with assets. And according to CNN, U.S. banks are sitting on $620 billion of unrealized losses. Right? Hmm. And, and the government said, well, don't worry about it. We're going to pretend like those unrealized losses didn't happen. Okay, And you can borrow against those so that we can keep that sweet, sweet liquidity working so that people can borrow against them. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. You know, it's all right. Everything's all right. And but but along with that, President Biden and, and, and the White House is not saying, but you're going to get fired and you're going to get fired and you're going to get fired and nobody gets bonuses and nobody gets raises. And you're going to have to replace that money with money from your like there's no there's no justice that comes along with this. So all of all these sins are being forgiven, but no one's being expected to make up for it. And mm-hmm. that, my friend is bullshit. So now before I go completely off the rails and get really upset about all this, because it just isn't fair, we should probably go to halftime. Yes. Yes. Brought to you by uh, Cap Logistics. Um, They're the ones that give us the soapbox and and enjoy our time here every week on Global Trade This Week. So caplogistics.com for transportation and logistics solutions. Pete, you want to go first? You, you sent yeah. me your, your tagline. I have no idea what, what it means or what it's about. So this is fresh to me, man. Let her rip. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't been animated, just animated on the show in a long time. Um, but we have a, I have a great topic for halftime. So dogs rule. Dogs rule. So I mm. was watching the news this week um, with Mrs. Trade Geek, uh, with Amy, watching the news. And they had a story about a dog that would not leave the bedside of a toddler during a fire until the fireman came to get the dog out, right? Just sat there, but would not leave. The rest of the family had been evacuated, but the fireman apparently had forgotten to get to this one room where this, this baby was. And it's just one of many instances of these incredible stories of heroics of dogs. And there's tons of them, right? There's the dogs that sniff out 
cancer. There's the dogs that people have that can warn a family before a child has an epileptic episode. There's the dogs that, um, that people have in their lives every day that help them with being guide dogs that mm -hmm. help them. Um, the number of my friends right now that have, um, dogs in their lives that help them emotionally that have served in the military, that these dogs really have saved their lives. And I have, I have a couple of friends that have been through so much trauma with PTSD that are living on ranches, living in large spaces where these dogs have emotionally gotten them out of very sad places that have helped them with suicide and suicidal ideology. It just dogs kick ass. And the fact that we have been able to have um, these animals in our lives as human beings and paired with people, I just, um, I've always had dogs in my life. I have a very old aged geriatric German shepherd named Lucy that lives with me, who no matter how bad a day I've had, no matter how bad a day she's had, I walk in the door, she's always incredibly happy to see me. Dogs kick ass. And I just wanted to take a minute to uh, reiterate the fact that dogs kick ass. I know Keenan has a very large dog named Lucy as well. I, I think the dog's name's Lucy. But he also has a dog that he loves, and I've seen many pictures of his big, beautiful dog. Um, dogs kick ass, Doug. So I just want to take a second say dogs kick ass. I love it. Well, <clears throat> we're going to go from dogs to dead guys. Eat. You have Eat. a great topic, Doug. Like, this is a great topic. <laughs> this is a great topic. Yes. Yeah. So this coming weekend is a festival that um, happens in Nederland, Colorado, but it's actually been moved to Estes Park, Colorado. It's called Frozen Dead Guy Days, not plural, but singular dead guy. Um, so he here's the gist of it, Pete. <clears throat> I'm just going to be super fast. Um, so like in late, late 80s, 89, 90, something like that, there was a, a Norwegian citizen that brought his the corpse of his dead grandfather over to California, packed him in dry ice, um, cryonics, I think is how you pronounce it, mm -hmm. where he wanted to freeze his body to thaw him out at a later date. I, I think Walt Disney did that too, didn't he? I Walt believe Disney? so. Yeah. 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 So he brought him over to, to this uh, facility in California for a while. And um, he literally put this, his grandfather on dry ice and flew him over to the United States. He hung out in, um, uh, San Leandro, California, I believe, and then uh, brought him to, to Nederland, the town of Nederland, which if you're a Boulder, Colorado hippie that got tired of the bouginess of Boulder, you moved up to Nederland. It's uh, probably 30 minute drive further into the mountains. And that's where all the Boulder hippies went um, when Boulder, Colorado got too, uh, too bougie. Oh, and by the way, there's another town that's a little bit further than Nederland called Ward, Colorado. And that's if you're a hippie and like guns, that's where you move to. So, so uh, real quick, Doug, friend of yeah. the show, Erica Russell with Ball Corporation. Yeah. Um, she she lives in Nederland, Colorado. Yeah. Yep. I know Erica. I know yeah. Erica. I think it's uh, um, anyway, she, she and her husband are into like Toyota. Um, not four runners. Uh, land, land cruisers? Yeah, or, there you go, yeah. land cruisers. Land yeah. cruisers. So anyway, uh, the the guy brought his grandfather back to Nederland. They literally put him in a shed, right, and packed him with dry ice for years. This is honest to God truth. Uh, and then they got into some trouble with um, uh, the city council of Nederland, and they said, listen, you can't put dead people in your house and, and, and keep them frozen. So there were some new rules that came out. 
but they were able to get the grandfather clause in place so they could keep this dead guy um, on dry ice. Um, unfortunately, the people that were monitoring this got um, their visas expired, so they got deported. So now there's this frozen dead guy that needs some help. So there's a company in town called Tough Shed, and some other people basically built a shed. Um, and this gentleman still exists today. There's caretakers that take care of him and pack ice every day. So why not throw a festival? So uh, I, I kind of went through it pretty quick, but if you Google frozen dead guy days, uh, you can learn about the history. So if you're celebrating a frozen dead guy, why not throw a party? So uh, it was in Nederland for years. It got too big. Too many people came up to Nederland. So this year they moved it to, uh, to Estes Park. But bands, uh, uh, you know, parties, booze, the whole nine yards. Um, they do not pull the dead guy out of uh, his shed and parade him down the down the street. But anyway, it's annual. It's coming up this weekend. It deserves a shout out. And I know you love South Park, Pete. There's actually an episode on South Park that references um, references this as well. So anyway, pretty cool stuff. I I know about this, Doug. And the reason I know about this is I went out once to see Erica and her husband, Abe, and I I was out drinking with the two of them. We were out having a couple of beers. And they told me about this dead guy thing. And I mm -hmm. said, there is no way. And I Googled it. And they're like, what, why would we lie to you about this? Like, there's... And I couldn't, I couldn't believe that there was this, you know, this guy on ice, like out in the middle of some town in Colorado. But then I thought to myself, this is the most Colorado thing. Like yeah. your state is full of all of these goofy stories like this, man. Yeah. It's uh, crazy. And then I felt, I felt kind of cause like, that's also a New Hampshire kind of a thing. Like that would be the kind of thing I would expect to happen here. Like there's some corpse living in somebody's shed somewhere mm -hmm. in Berlin, you know? So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, that's one of those things that only Colorado, man. Yeah. It's crazy. So I'd encourage our listeners to to uh, to listen up. And another thing, Pete, is that um, there is uh, a big sensation going on with AI generated um, voice and bots that can make it sound like anything that you want. So we're going to ask KB, Keenan, the producer, to change the sentence I just said into another person's voice. And we'll see what he comes up with. So our audience can enjoy halftime with a little bit of a guest voiceover. So we'll see how that pans out. That's going to be crazy. All right, man. So um, second story for this week for me, um, it's more of a warning mixed up into a story. And that's that the uh, Secretary of the Treasury with our good friends at the Office of Foreign Asset Control have identified a number of companies that have been moving money and goods around for Iran. And you know what, folks? They always do. This is uh, just another great example of how the Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, has won again. They won again. They always win. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is if your company has not gotten the memo yet, it's that you need to have some kind of controls in place, hopefully automated ones, that are making sure that your company and your customers are not engaged in some foolishness that are not somehow um, trying to find a way to circumvent the regulations. This is just not a group of people you want to mess with. They're going to catch you. They're always going to catch you. So mm -hmm. do what you can 
to find a way to put some sort of guardrails in place and to keep yourselves and your employees and your customers from doing something stupid that runs you afoul of the people at OFAC. That's really it, Doug. Gotcha. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, mine, my uh, piece is, is pretty quick, right? Um, and I just looked at my computer and I got like 15 minutes before it dies. <laughs> my technology has been pretty wacky, Pete, but here's the deal, man. Uh, you and I called this maybe a month ago where we said the, this is related to air freight and the air cargo industry and shocker, the market is weakening and there's too much capacity in there. So, um, freighter flight hours are down 5%. Doesn't seem like a lot, but planes aren't, aren't flying as much. NYK plans to sell off their air freight division. Cargo Jet uh, is selling off two of their 777 um, uh, uh, cargo, James, uh, cargo planes that they retroed, and they canceled. Uh, well, they put on hold another order for six. Um, they are rebalancing the cost for slow growth. So one thing I wanted to point out, Pete, so the one group that has bucked this trend is Lufthansa, um, which is a great airline, and they've done uh, freighter service for, for many, many decades. And their success, because they're the outlier, and they're still having a successful um, a go at it in this, uh, in this segment, is they got a lot of experience. They're not entering the market new. They've been around uh, for a long time. They're laser-focused on specialty industries, which command a higher price. So while everybody was trying to jump on board to say everybody's buying everything whenever the goods of the goods and services industry during COVID, you know, people wanted their tennis shoes within one day. And so air freight jumped up. Lufthansa held, held court and stayed focused on their core competency of specialized industries. And they're the ones reaping the benefits. The other folks is nobody's going out to buy a pair of shoes overnight because they're going to the store to buy them when they want them. So it's just a pendulum swing that moved rapidly uh you and i spoke about this a month ago or so and it's coming to fruition is the point of my second second topic yeah my, my comment to that man is you know we, we can't discount the fact that trade between the united states and europe is still doing quite well and that lufthansa is a machine they're a well-oiled mm -hmm. data-driven extremely well-managed machine and they understand, um, they think very well in advance. They understand the movements of the markets and they think very well in advance. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. And they should be commended for thinking smart in the lean times, thinking smart in the strong times, and just being um, very well engaged and extremely well connected into their data and managing their business and such. Not to say that others aren't, but they've just always done an excellent job of running mm -hmm. business that way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for a rather spirited, yes, spirited episode of Global Trade this week. Um, thank you, Doug, for yet another wonderful episode. Um, thanks, Troy, for, for making it. I, I hope that your handler saw that, Doug, and that the <laughs> microfiche is where it's supposed to be under the bench. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Keenan and all the great people at Cap Logistics for um for their unending and uh, incredible support of the show. And um, thanks to all of you for watching and for listening. And we'll see you again next week with another edition of Hope. Excellent. See you. Nice, Pete. Thanks. See you guys.